All right, we're doing a series on prayer. And prayer 101, and what, the goal of this is to understand pray, how to pray. A lot of people don't pray because they don't, A, understand it. They don't understand what it is, or they don't know how to pray, right? And so my goal is to help you understand prayer. My goal is to help teach you how to pray so that you can pray with confidence, correct? Eh? Bible says the effectual fervent prayers of the saints. So we have to pray with effect. We don't just pray randomly. We pray with an, in an effectual way. And one of the things we're doing over the next few weeks is we're going to be just doing the Lord's Prayer, and we're breaking it down, and that the Lord's Prayer is not necessarily a mantra, right? So we treat it religiously with our Father who is in heaven, all of you, the name of the kingdom. You know, we say five Our Fathers and three Hail Marys kind of thing. But the churches, a lot of the liturgical churches treat it that way, but that prayer is actually an outline. So we're just going to revisit a little bit of things uh, this week as I was praying. It's a good thing to pray about a message about prayer, is it not? Have you prayed about this message, Pastor? No, it's about prayer. I don't need to pray. But anyway, I felt like the Lord wanted me to come back a little bit to um, just this, this first part of the prayer, which is our Father. And um, so we're going to just cover that a little bit more, but we're going to cover it just, I'm just going to broaden it out a little bit. So if you look at, so what I'm basically saying is, what I want you to understand is this understanding of prayer, but I want you to look at the Lord's Prayer differently. Our Father who is in heaven, that's a section. So when you begin to pray, we pray out of worship. We, we begin to come before God, our Father. Not everybody gets to call him Father. I don't know if you know that. You get to call him Father. We, not everybody does. And so the, God is, Jesus is teaching us the secret to prayer. They never asked Jesus how to preach. They never asked Jesus how to worship. But they did ask him how to pray. Did they not? Yeah. The reason is, is that it, they, it's just an observation thing. So if you can understand this, Jesus and his disciples, and he's got 350, he's got 70, he's got 12, and he's got three. Those are the concentric circles of those who followed with Jesus. When Jesus had his entourage maxed out, he had about 350 people following him wherever he went. And out of the 350 people, there was another core of 70. Out of the 70, there was another core of 12. Out of the 12, there was another core of three. So when Jesus showed up in town, there was like 350 people rolling with him, you know? <laughs> Crazy. And they would watch him. They would watch him. They would realize that they, he would go from one place of prayer to another, and in between, he would perform miracles. And so they began to understand that what Jesus was doing here, that the, Jesus was modeling for us. So he's God. They're like, well, Jesus did miracles because he was God. Jesus did miracles because he is the divine prototype of the new creation. He is the one. Jesus set aside his divinity. He, had, he was always fully God and always fully man. But he did not access divine attributes. He accessed everything he did. He did in the power of the Holy Spirit. And people oftentimes have this misunderstanding that Jesus was God over here, then Jesus was man over here, then Jesus was God over here, then Jesus was man over here. He was fully God and fully God. It's called hypostatic union. He was always that. But he set aside. He did not access his attributes directly. He accessed the attributes of God through the Holy Spirit. That's why he says the Son of Man can do nothing unless he's shown. The Son of Man can say nothing unless he hears it. When people go, well, what is he not God? No, he's God. And so when people have this understanding, you have to understand theology. If Jesus died as God, then none of us are saved. Jesus had to become as us. He had to die as us in order to save us. So he had to literally become like us. I know it's mind-blowing. It's like it's hard to get your mind around that, but that's exactly what he did. So when you look at what Jesus was doing, and when Jesus went to pray, that's why he had to, he had to literally 
do what he is showing us to do, talk and intercede with his father. He had to uh, pray and he had to begin to access the Holy Spirit. You know, when he gives words of knowledge and all of these different things, he's not doing it out of his divinity. He's doing it out of the supernatural power given to him by the baptism of the Holy Spirit when he came up out of the water. That's what's going on. Was he still God? People are like, what was his saying? Jesus is God. Jesus is God. He is, he is divinely born and he is divine, but he is fully God and fully man. And so oftentimes the church dismisses this call to presence or we dismiss the call to power or we dismiss the call into the spirit because we believe that Jesus was God all the time. And so, well, Jesus cast out the demon because he's God. No, Jesus cast out the demon because he returned in the power of the spirit. When did, you, when did it happen? Jesus entered the office of his ministry at 30. He was baptized. The Spirit of God came upon him. He went into the wilderness and returned in the wilderness how? Anybody know? I just said it. In the power of the Spirit. He came back. And what is the wilderness? It's a Hebrew word, debar, which means place of speaking. So Jesus went, got the discernment correctly of what, how, how to proceed. That's what he was doing when he was praying. He would go and he would pray and he would get his instructions. He would worship, he would honor, he would intercede, and he would do all of those things, but he would also walk away from prayer with divine instruction. If you follow the life of Jesus, what did he do? One of the times he came back to his disciples and he said, we must go to Samaria. Well, why, why must he go to Samaria? Because he had just received instructions from the Lord to go to Samaria. That's the whole story of the widow woman at the well. He goes to Samaria, and what's he do? He sits down on a well. He sends the disciples away, and he's sitting down at the well. Why is he there? He probably, at that moment, as a man, he's God, again, but as a man, he knows he has an assignment at that well because the Spirit has told him. And he didn't know exactly what his assignment was until that woman walked up. And when that woman walked up, he said, that's my assignment, and he began to engage her. You see how the story goes. Why would he do that? If you understand it religiously, you'll never get it. If you understand it relationally, you'll understand that what Jesus was doing is giving us a model to follow. He will instruct us. He will lead us. He will put us in places we won't exactly know what's going on. He had to go through Samaria. He didn't know why he showed up. That trips people out because we have this idea that Jesus was God all the time. He is God in the flesh, incarnate. But he, he set aside his deity. That's what the Bible says. He did not consider equality to, with God to be something to be held onto. He took it off like a garment. Not, not his deity. He couldn't take off his deity. He took off his attributes. And he did not access the attributes. That's what the Bible says. He did not consider equality with God necessarily to be held onto. He gave up his attributes to become like you so that he could save you. So it wasn't some exercise that he needed to perform. He had to do it in order. The, the law of the spirit required that. See, look, man, the devil thought he had mankind zeroed. He, he thought there is no way, no way. Man is totally corrupted now. The seed of the woman is corrupted. I have got these people and there is no way out. Adam's blood is corrupted. Eve's corrupted. They're sinned and they're lost eternally. God has another plan. He, by the law of the Spirit, it was given to Adam. So by the blood, so that's why we have to be born again. Everybody born of Adam is lost because the bloodline is corrupted. And Jesus goes, not so fast. I'll come as the last Adam, and I'll provide another bloodline that men may be, be, be what? Born again by the blood of Jesus. Your transfers of bloodline spiritually. That's, that's, that's a fact. That's a spiritual fact. That's why we're born again. We're not born of heaven. We're not born of the earth now any longer. We're born of, we're born of heaven. This relates again to what, who and what we are. The basis of our relationship with God is, is intimacy, right? 
one of the biggest barriers to prayer, one of the biggest barriers to power, one of the biggest barriers of, 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 of seeing kingdom is because we don't understand who we are. And we don't understand the basis of the relationship that God wants with us. It's intimacy. He didn't, he didn't save you so that you could come and, you know, listen, I'm all into liturgy. Lit, liturgy. Like, you know, if you want to come with, you know, all, that, all the liturgy and all the rules and the regulations, all that's fine. The outward demonstration is fine, but it is absolutely meaningless without intimacy. Meaningless. Meaningless. Intimacy is into me, you see. God, Jesus wants to bring you to a place where you know, you, you, there's, listen, there's nothing Jesus can't see in me. There's not, no part of me that Jesus can't access. There's no barrier in my mind, my heart, or my spirit that I would hold from him. He can tell me anything. Even my worst, even the things that, this is what we teach you guys here. You got to come to the point where God can tell you anything. That's intimacy. We can tell you, you have pride for there, Matt. You got to, you know, deal with it. Not because Matt's going to go, oh my gosh, I'm such a prideful person. Jesus told me I'm a prideful person. Jesus identifies issues in our life not to shame you. He identifies issues in your life because they are barriers to intimacy. So when God is dealing with you on something about you, Christians are great at this. We love to hide everything. Oh, we hide it all, don't we? You know, we're, you know, whatever. And then Sunday, oh, we're righteous, bless God, brother. You know, all this other stuff. It, it, because we feel some guilt or shame, and we, we have this misconception of how the Lord deals with our hearts. When he's dealing with your heart, he's not, by the way, Matt, don't, don't feel like I'm pointing you out there. Matt's like over there going, this is a pastor trying to say I got pride or something. Let me honor Matt publicly, a humble servant of God, a man who gives of himself willingly, without reservation, seeks no glory but the glory of his heavenly Father. So let me honor you. So, no, Matt doesn't have, look, Matt's got a pride problem. Pastor called him out this morning. We got to note that down. We got to pray for Matt, you know. It's not what I'm saying. I was using Matt because I knew Matt wasn't going to attack me, so it's okay. I'll use myself more often. So, like, it's into me, you see. So this whole idea of relationship, you understand how God is working with you. This also comes about in prayer. Anybody, you ever start to pray to the Lord, he starts reminding you of something, and he starts showing something about you? I don't know if you ever do that. You start praying, and, the Lord, and you get to this point, and then the Lord's like, okay, that's great, Kevin. But I didn't like the way you didn't feed the cat this morning. You know, I didn't like the way you talked to your wife this morning. You know, and you start feeling this conviction on your heart, right? You start feeling something on your heart. Or he, he, and, and the reason that he's showing you that is not because you're such a loser, you're such a failure, you're so unwanted. Oh, look at you, you disgusting creature. If only you were holy. That's not what he's saying at all. He's identifying things because he's saying that is, an, that is, an, that is a barrier to intimacy with me, Kevin. I need you to just deal with it, move on, admit it and quit it so that the intimacy can, be, can flow. That's the whole thing he's interested in. More than anything else is that intimacy, that warmth, that connection where he can instruct you, he can relate to you, he can bless you, he can, all this whole thing. That's what he's interested in more than anything else. And we have intimacy through knowledge. There's three basis of knowledge. So we know God. So God wants intimacy with us. This is, again, the context of prayer. We have to understand what God is asking for, where we're driving this thing towards. Knowledge of what? Knowledge about the Lord, knowledge about his character, and knowing him through experience. We have revealed knowledge through his word. We have revealed knowledge of his character, and we have experiential knowledge that validates the revealed knowledge of his word and validates the revealed knowledge of his character. And that happens through the Holy Spirit. So how do we know the Lord? We know him first through his revealed word. That's number one. Number two, we know him second through his character. But, the, but, the, but none, of that, none of that creates the life that Christ wants for us. None of that creates the living relationship. The Holy Spirit creates the relationship. 
right? So God is good, is he not? We, we, we learn that, we read that. Okay, the Lord is good. You know, God is, for, God is for me, who can be against me? So the Lord is for me. No one can ever be against me. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. We know that. But then there's an experiential component to that that comes about through the, through when we relate to the Holy Spirit. He shows it to you. God will deliver you. No weapon formed against you will prosper. Everything, every tongue that comes against you will be condemned. This is the heritage of what? The servants of the Lord, right? Anybody been delivered of anything? Anybody had weapons formed against them? And they not prospered? That word no longer became something you knew about. That, that word became living to you, did it not? Right? And what God did before, he'll do again. So when God delivers you, it's not a place of visitation, it's a place of access. You are now an experiential partner in the deliverance that God will manifest to you. Romans says this, how will they call upon him if they've not believed? We need faith. And how will they call upon him if they do not, have never heard of him? In other words, if, they don't, if, people, don't, if they, people don't just approach this by faith, or if people don't approach this having heard of him, we have to hear of God, right? We not only have to hear of God, we have to hear of his, of his character. We have to hear of his nature. Jesus is for you. He's not against you. He's always in a good mood. He has nothing against you at all, ever. He's glad to see you every single time. The only people that remember our guilt and our shame and our sin is us. The only thing that keeps us from, our present, from his presence is us. No one can keep you from the presence of your Father except you. Angels can't keep you out. Sins can't keep you out. Devils can't keep you out. The only one that keeps you from the presence of the Lord is you. Why? Because you have to enter his presence. But we have to learn about his character. We have to know who he is. When you start knowing about him, so God wants to say, this is who I am. And he doesn't want you to be an observer he wants you to be a participant. So we don't just observe him. We teach the church that we observe. We observe the Lord. We just look upon his beauty. We observe him. That's, that's cool. I observe the Lord. But God wants to tell me that he's good, and he invites me to experience that. God wants to tell me that he's a deliverer, and he invites me to experience that. He calls you into that. What happens in our lives, a lot of times situations come upon us, and we look to every other resource to deliver us except the Lord. Jesus doesn't have a problem with every other resource. He has a problem being second. God is our first call, man. Ring, ring. Jeremiah 33, 3, call upon me and I will answer you. We call upon the Lord. Lord, I'm in a situation. I need your deliverance. And so he'll activate supernatural. He'll give you wisdom. He'll begin to align people, places, and things. Some of you, even this morning, when Eric was saying, some, some calamity may come upon you. You're going to go, Lord, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And all of a sudden, you're going to, wait a second. I remember that lawyer that was talking in church. What's his name? You know? He uses people, places, and things. He begins to activate, but he wants you to not just know of him. He wants you to experience him. This is huge. This is huge. This is where no one can take anything from you. You, you know him. You know he's good. You know he loves you. You don't understand necessarily everything, but you know. Jeremiah says, this is when we call upon the Lord. For I know the thoughts. And it says, how should they hear without a preacher? The job of the preacher is to tell you about the goodness of God. The job of the preacher is the friend of the bridegroom. My job is to tell you how wonderful the bridegroom is. My job is to say, man, he's got muscles that are like huge, right? You know, this dude, he walks in, you know, how wonderful Jesus is. And then my job in relationship to the bridegroom in that same aspect is to tell you how much he loves you and how much he has for you, how much he thinks of you all the time. That's how it relates. The pastor, the preacher, is the friend of the bridegroom. The goal of the preacher is not to get the bride to fall in love with the friend of the bridegroom. My job is not to get you to fall in love with me. You can like me. You can, you know, I'm not saying don't like me. Well, the only way I can truly fulfill the faith of God is by hating the pastor. That's not what I'm saying. 
But oftentimes we want people to fall in love with us. That's never the goal. You can admire and have admiration and respect and, and honor the position that the, that the leader has. But the job of the leader is to get you to fall in love with Jesus. That's the job. Friend of the bridegroom. He's amazing. He loves you. He's for you. Jeremiah says, I know the thoughts I think towards you, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a hope and a future. And then he says this verse is key. Then you will call upon me. When we understand that God wants good for us, we start calling on him, don't we? If you think he's got a stick and he's ready to level you, or you think he's, got a, you think he's against you, if you think he's afar off and he's indifferent, and you think you've got to approach him like a beggar, and you have all these mentalities, you, and, and there's this huge effort involved, you'll never do it. You'll never do it. And the Lord says, you're going to call on me when you know what I think towards you. You're going to call on me when you know that I have peace and, and not of evil, when I have a hope and a future. That's how it works. We call on the Lord when we understand that he's good. Hebrews says, it's without faith, it's impossible to please him. For those that come to him must believe that he is, he is, and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. We come to God because he's going to reward us. You're here this morning, and you're being rewarded. You're accessing God by honor. You're honoring the Lord this morning with your presence. You're honoring the Lord with your attention, and you know what's happening? He's rewarding you. Peace comes to you. Wisdom comes to you. Power comes to you. Love comes to you. Affirmation comes to you. He rewards those who seek him. If he does it when we gather, he does it in prayer as well. You start praying, everything changes, doesn't it? I don't know if anybody, any praying people out here. It's amazing. You start getting into prayer. You're having all these problems, and the last thing you want to do is pray. The last thing you want to do, and so prayer and worship, if you can't pray, you can definitely worship. If you don't know how to articulate yourself in prayer yet, that's okay. Well, it's a learning curve. We'll get there. But you can definitely worship. All of us can worship, and worship and prayer are almost synonymous because what they do is they activate the presence of God in our life. You start worshiping the Lord and everything changes, doesn't it? Come on. It shifts. You start praying and everything shifts, right? And you're like, what? Why didn't I pray before? What was my problem? I mean, I'll just speak from experience. The Lord's like, oh, you know, and I know, I know all this stuff. I'm like, I need to pray. And I'm like, I don't want to pray. I don't feel like praying. I don't want to pray. I don't want to pray. And I'll find my flesh will want to find as many distractions as it can possibly find. And when I finally bring myself to the point where I'm actually praying, not structurally, but relationally, and I start to enter in with my father and start to relate to him, everything shifts. And all of a sudden, I'm in the atmosphere of his presence, I'm in the atmosphere of his love, and I'm like, why in the world didn't I do this two hours ago? Because your flesh doesn't want to do it. <laughs> if you're looking for motivation from your flesh, it's not coming. You want to worship, your flesh does not. It does not. It's a willful action. David told his soul to wake up, awake my soul. He commanded it. He's like, you're not going to be distracted. You have to take authority over yourself sometimes, guys. He'll reward those who diligently seek him. What does he reward us with? Right now, this morning, you have access. There's love in this room. There's power in this room. There's wisdom in this room. There's affirmation in this room. There's promises and there's provision. Everything's here. It's in his presence. Everything is in his presence. Sherry's aunt... Um, her uncle called. I completely misunderstood what she was saying to me. I'm in a room talking to my son. My son's asking me stuff about the Bible. He's asking me stuff about the Lord. So I'm like, wow, this is great, you know? I mean, those, you know, he's, he's older now, so he doesn't quite do that as much. And so I was like, wow, this is a golden moment. And Sherry comes in. And what she actually said was, uh, my Aunt Bev is feeling faint, and she's, sl she's slurring her speech, and my Uncle Ken is on the phone. 
What I thought she said was, Ken is on the, Ken is on the phone. He needs to, he's going to give a speech, and he wants your advice. That's what I thought she said for some reason. And I'm looking at her. I'm like, now? Now? And she's, and she's like, it's an emergency. And I'm thinking, how much emergency can this be? But nonetheless, I got the message, and we prayed over the phone. And what did I do? I began to lead her into the things that were already hers. I began to lead her, not asking God to do anything, but I began to lead her into activating the power that belonged to her. I began to activate her into the love that belonged to her and the healing that belonged to her, right? So we prayed over her, activated the healing. You know, she couldn't speak because she was slurring her words, and and so I got Ken to pray for her. So husbands, you can pray for your wives as her. Wives, you can pray for your husbands as him. I just don't know if you know that or not. Jesus sees you as one, flesh of flesh and bone of bone, does he not? Right? You can, you can pray on behalf of that person. <laughs> I could tell you a story. I'm not going to. I'm going I'm, I'm to run out of time with stories here. But uh, So I, I got Ken to pray over her, and, and Ken began to lay hands on her, and he began to pray as Beverly. I, Beverly, you know, I'm a daughter of the highest. I command healing and, you know, and just began to activate the virtue of the Lord into her body. Within probably minutes, she sat up. She was perfectly fine, and she wasn't slurring her speech at all, Right? So we did, there was other things, I'm condensing it. There was some, you know, we were praying in specific areas. After we got that activation, we started praying into specific areas and commanding strength into these specific areas, all clotting her brain to open up, all this stuff. There was a little bit of impartation there, it was, it, but it was good, nonetheless. But it wasn't my amazing prayer. It wasn't asking God for something that he's already given us. I, t- I, you, I t- was walking her into activating the inheritance that's already been given to her by birth. Healing belongs to you. It's yours. You don't have to ask God for something he's already given you. We activate what he's already given us. It's a big difference. Blessing is given. Wisdom is yours. We don't have to ask God. We ask the Lord for wisdom, but we have the spirit of wisdom within us. So yes, you can ask him, but you also activate what belongs to you. It's a huge shift. That's why a lot of these prayers don't go answered, because we're asking God to do something that he's already given us. It's like, I've given it to you. Activate it. Activate it. Oh, Lord, would you, could you, should you? Oh, look upon Beverly. Look how much she loves you. Oh, God, if you just do a healing touch right now into her body, we don't pray like that. We had another guy who was in the hospital. This was a few years back, and he was in the hospital, and somebody asked us to go and pray, and he had his former church in there, and they were praying, so we had to wait, right? But they asked us to go and pray, and his ch- former church was in there, and they're like, oh, Lord. You love brother so-and-so. Look upon brother so-and-so. And, oh, Lord, we just ask for your touch of grace right now. And if it be your will, Lord, we ask that the healing would come into his body. Sherry and I walk into the room, and, they're like, and we were just totally chill. We weren't, like, taking over anything. I was just trying to see what the family wanted us to do. And, the fam- and, I, and they're like, well, would you pray for him too, Pastor? And Sherry's like, in the name of Jesus, we command virtue into this body. In the name of Jesus, healing is his birthright. Because he had a tube in his throat. He couldn't talk. You know, totally, the other people are like looking at us like we just stepped off of the planet Mars, right? Total different dynamic. And you know what? He was out of the hospital in two days. You say, well, maybe it was the other person's prayer. I don't care whose prayer it was. I don't care who gets the glory except Jesus. But I can tell you where the shift, I can tell you there's a, there's a complete shift. I used to pray, oh, Lord, would you, could you, should you? Oh, God. Look how Carmen loves you, Lord. Oh, God, she loves you so much. <laughs> Just take her act of service and in your tender mercy if you're in a good mood today, Lord. Just drop down a drip of grace upon her this morning. It's not that at all. This is your daughter. And this is the daughter of God. I don't even talk to the Lord. I activate who she is. This is a daughter of the highest. Healing is her birthright. On earth as it is in heaven. That's what it is. No, no, No devil. Devil wants to get you confused. 
wants to get you to confuse because God doesn't answer those prayers. When we go, would you, could you, should you, would you, could you, should you, or we pray like a beggar, God doesn't answer, and then the devil accuses on top of it because of our ignorance. You understand that? God doesn't answer the beggar prayer. He doesn't because he doesn't see you as a beggar. He sees you as a victor. You're not a victim. You're a victor. Take your rightful place. Stand. Command what is yours. Activate what is yours. Big, huge, huge, huge difference. So we pray, would you, could you, should you? Maybe God, if you're in a good mood prayer, doesn't get answered. And then the the devil goes, see, the Lord isn't good. See, he doesn't hear you. See, you're not worthy of his prayers. Your inheritance has nothing to do with your lifestyle. That's a shocker too. You have an inheritance, you have a destiny. Big difference. Those things are entirely separated. Your inheritance belongs to you. It's given to you. It's the benefit package given to you by virtue of the blood of Jesus. Belongs to you. Your destiny and your significance is a separate issue entirely. Survival, let's just put it in a simple context. Survival is your inheritance. All believers will survive. Success and significance relates to your destiny. Not all will be successful. Not all will have significance. But all will be provided for. Understand? Why? Because it's your inheritance. All will have provision. But you have to, if you want destiny and you want significance, you have to align and choose into that. That's different. Healing is your inheritance. Prophetic is your inheritance. Dreams and visions are your inheritance. Wisdom is your inheritance. It belongs to you. The presence is your inheritance. You can be a complete rotten, dirty sinner. You can be in the club partying it up. And you can stand there and go, Holy Spirit, come. And he'll come. Immediately. Well, God would never come into a holy place. You are the holy place. You are the temple of God. It doesn't, it's not based upon your behavior. That is your inheritance. Your destiny is based upon your behavior. Your destiny is based upon you partnering with and activating the promises. But your inheritance is not. It's not. It isn't. We, have, we come, we do fire starters. We do, if you ever want to do, if you ever want to have spiritual activation, we do a fire starter. We'll probably do it in the summer. And we do um, a class that just activates you in all the different spiritual things. You get a little taste, right? It's a little like, what is it? Uh, tapas. You get a little tapas. You get, you, get, you get a few tapas. You get to sample the, the Lord, right? And we get people to come. We show them. We teach them how to lay hands on the sick and, how to, and you'll see it. You see it right in front of your eyes. You see it. You get people, we teach people how to prophesy. And it's amazing. All prophesy. All, come on. All prophesy. Matt, I'm going to use them. I'm going to bless you. Matt used to say, man, I just thought these prophets were just these elevated guys. I said, no, you're a prophet, bro, because you're yours. Acts chapter 2. Your sons and your daughters will what? Prophesy. Your sons and daughters will what? See, dream dreams and see visions. Right? You have access to a dream, the dream of your life and the dream of God. It is given to you. It cannot be denied. You have access to the vision over your life and the vision of God. You have access to it. It cannot be denied to you. It's yours by right. Oh, I'm just so bad, Lord. I just, you know, I just, you know, I just did it again, Lord. Oops, I did it again. I did it again. When you understand who and what you are and you understand what's yours by inheritance, it will change everything about you. So long as you see yourself in light of your behavior, you will never change. You have to see yourself in light of your identity, not in light of your behavior. Just a thought. I know this isn't common. This is gospel. I know this isn't common. This is kingdom. Church tries to control people through behavior, guilt, shame. We actually are not partnering with the Spirit of God. We're partnering. We need to activate what is, belongs to us. Inheritance, that's what God wants. Jesus paid to give you inheritance, right? He paid to give you. So if God said, I want you to have this, and here's how much I want you to have it. I'm going to pay not, just, not for salvation. Salvation is the doorway into the kingdom. 
Salvation is preeminent. We all must be born again. We all must be saved. But we're born unto a hope, and we're born as sons and daughters, and we're born into a sons and daughters with an inheritance. Jesus could have just had you born again, but part of that blood atonement was for an inheritance. That's why Paul says, I pray that you would understand what is the richness of his grace and his inheritance. Where? In the saints. And we take it like this. Well, what God is meaning there is that we are his inheritance and we are the sweet by and by. Well, that would be great if it wasn't coupled with so many other verses that speak directly about what belongs to us. That's the problem. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> what I want you to do, you know what the Lord wants? He wants you to pursue what belongs to you. He wants you to activate what belongs to you. You know why? Because we're a peculiar people. The world doesn't have access to the Holy Spirit. You do. You do. The world can be confused and completely brain dead. They don't know what to do. They can be scrambling all over the place. But you should not because you have the mind of the Spirit. You have the mind of God. That's not a poem. That's an invitation. So we go, I have the mind of God, but your behavior looks like a complete animal. Get in the Spirit and get the mind of God. Get in the Spirit and get the wisdom of God. It's yours. It's yours. Your life can be shot out. Why do you think he gives you wisdom when you're shot out? He gives you wisdom when you're shot out. Is it because if he, everything had to be relate to your righteousness, none of this would happen because none of us are righteous. Not now, not ever. There's no holiness without the Holy Spirit. It doesn't work. Say, Lord, I've just completely blown this thing up again. I need you, Holy Spirit. Give me wisdom and understanding on how to move forward. He'll start talking to you. He'll start showing you because it belongs to you. Faith is a willful determination to believe in and trust in what we do not understand with the natural mind. That's what faith, faith, there's a lot of definitions to faith. But faith is a willful determination to trust in, act upon, and believe in what you cannot understand with the natural mind. We, we, we have taught a logical gospel. I'm all in. I'm all in with logic. I'm all in. I'm all in. I don't believe you check your brain at the door. I'm all in. I believe the gospel is intellectual. I believe the gospel is, uh, uh, it, it comes from an understanding, an, an understanding, but there are things within this gospel that are not understood, and never will they be understood with the natural mind. Lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Do, does anybody here understand that? Is, is, can you give me an equation as to how that actually works? You can't, because it's beyond your, mi your mind and your understanding. It's a spiritual thing. It's a spiritual transaction. Anybody here, you give a, give a prophetic word? You can give a prophetic word and you know something that you wouldn't ordinarily know and you're able to speak and give life into a circumstance that you would... How, how does that happen? Uh, you know, I mean, you, you can't understand how that just happened. You can't understand where that came from. But it's yours. You have to have a willful determination to trust in and act upon what you do not understand. Not just trust in, act upon. Okay, let's give another one. I hear tithes and offerings. Tithes and offerings. Does that make sense to anybody in the natural mind? Right? Does that make sense? Let me give you the, what tithes and offerings is. The first 10% of everything you earn, <gasps> give to the Lord. Not just anywhere. No, no. He defines it even narrowly. To the house in which you are fed. To the church to which you belong. The 10% doesn't go to the Kiwanis Club. The 10% doesn't go to the United Way. The 10% goes to the house in which you are fed. That's the defined action that the Lord has prescribed. And the Lord, pastors didn't come up with this. This is God's plan and has been so from the beginning. We don't have to. No, you don't have to. You get to. But that, that action makes no sense to the natural mind. Yet when you give, what happens? Let your river flow. Exactly. We got givers in the room. You know exactly what I'm talking about. I always tell people, attach your faith. I'm going to use Jeremiah again, okay? I've been talking about Jeremiah. 
You guys get anything out of this? It's a little bit of, a little bit of a flow here, but it's really, you know, I'm like, okay, but okay. So watch, watch this. You guys know Jeremiah loves this story, but I'm going to tell. I'm going to. You're going to. You're going to be eyewitnesses of the progression of one among you. You're going to watch. Doesn't mean he's not going to have pivots or ups and downs, but you're going to watch that he, this guy, if he will do what the Lord tells him, is going to take a hill and he's going to take a mountain. Right? He comes to me, asks me a bunch of questions, tells me what he wants. I tell him, I said, Jeremiah, you're never going to get where you want to be as a wage earner. You have to earn wages, but you have to put yourself in a position where God can open up another ream of income for you. I don't know what that is. You have to ask him. You know, so being a wage earner will never get you. He, he believes that he wants to be a, a, a benefactor to the kingdom, and he, and he believes God has called him into millions of dollars. When he has $60 in his bank account, he's telling me this, right? Just, just put it in context. He asks me what to do. I tell him what to do. He comes back to me. He says, hey, I feel like the Lord has told me to do stocks. I'm like, okay. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm not going to give any advice there. It's not my, my lane. It's not what I do. And so I said, okay. And he just began to believe God. And I, and I said, whatever he, uh, John 2, chapter, John chapter 2, verse 5, whatever he tells you to do it. And so he starts doing all of the things. He says, how do I get there? I said, you're not going to, he said, I give tithes and offerings off my wages. I said, give tithes and offerings off your, your business. He says, I don't have any money in my business. I said, give God a number, tell him what you want. And I said, and then make it realistic. And then everything above that number, you're going to give him quarterly. You're going to give him monthly. You're going to give him whatever. Whatever you have earned above that number, you're going to give him 10%. So I said, give him a baseline. He'll accept your baseline. This is for his business, not his personal. I said, give him a baseline within your business and tell him everything above that number. I'm going to give you 10% quarterly, monthly, whatever. I don't know. But make, strike hands with the Lord. I said, he'll take that deal. And so he comes back to me and he tells me the number's $50,000. I'm like, how much do you have? He's like, 300, okay? I said, what's gonna happen, Jeremiah? I said, the Lord's gonna get you to 50 grand, probably even close within a year, year and a half. You're gonna be at $50,000. And I said, and that's not the issue. The issue is gonna be, once you hit $50,000, will you be faithful to, to honor? Because this is what happens with people. They strike hands with the Lord. He does their job, but oh, no, no, I can't give now. Oh, God, no. Oh, heavens, no. I have $100,000 above the 50. I gotta give $10,000 of that. Oh, no, God, I can't give that. That's what happens. God will be faithful. Six months ago, he's got, right now he's got $28,000 on an initial investment of $300. How did that happen? Is, is Jeremiah, um, is he uh, Berkshire Hathaway? Is he the Oracle of Omaha? Is he the new stock guy that everybody needs to listen to? He's completely clueless. The Lord just tells him what to do and he does it. And that's what he keeps telling me. And he came back to me and I, he had a meeting with me just recently. I'm gonna give you, I'm just putting this stuff in real time. Right? I want you guys to see this stuff, that this isn't a far off. This, is, this kingdom works in real time. Right? He comes to me, sits down with me, talks to me, all this other stuff. And he says, I'm having a real struggle right now. And so we start discussing his business and what he needs to do in, in, in like his personal life. And he's saying, you know, my job, I don't make a lot of money. He said, I'm really constrained in my job, and I'm working unbelievable hours. And I said, well, and I said, well what do you want to do? And he starts telling me. And I said, you need to believe God. For a lateral, because he's trained, he's got a degree, he's, you know, he's qualified, he's a counselor. And I was like, look, you're, you're not going to, you know, stick in your field, bro. I mean, this is what you went to school for. So I said, but believe God for a lateral move with better hours and more money. He just called me this week. And you know what he told me before that? Watch, it gets better. He, this is two weeks ago after I met with him. He calls me. I, I don't listen. Don't, like, I'm not going to tell you to do it. But he calls me and he says, he says, the Lord, uh, the Lord is telling me, to give all of my savings to elevate. He didn't, I didn't say that. I didn't say that to him. I didn't say, well, the Lord is telling you. 
I believe God, and he has $300 in the bank. So it's not like this guy's got like $3 million in the Lord's hand. He's like, the Lord's telling me to give. I'm just going to show you how this activates. I'm going to show you how the kingdom activates. This, this, I'm just going to show you. So I, 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 don't know. I don't even know whether he did it or not. I really don't know. It's not, it's, he just told me. I said, well, John 2, 5, Jeremiah, whatever he tells you to do, do it. And so he calls me this week, and he, or he t- texts me this week, and he says, I just got another job um, with almost 15 hours less and an $11,000 a year raise. Yeah. Why? Because not only was he giving, he was activating his faith into his giving. When you give, put faith, not your tithe and offering, but see what he's doing. It's what God is doing is Jeremiah is believing God for something. And what God asks you for, he asks you to give him something to work with. And you don't think it's ironic that the Lord was looking at him going, okay, Jeremiah, you want me to give you that? I'm going to give you that. But he said, I want you to take a step of faith and I want you to take a step of faith and I'll activate it. And he took a step, but he, he didn't come up with this idea. He felt the Lord telling him, and he stepped into what God told him, and the Lord began to activate it. You say, is that going to happen to me? I don't know. I don't know your circumstance. I don't know your situation. But what I do know is that the kingdom is real. And I do know that not everybody gets there. This, we're talking destiny. He feels he has a destiny to do these things. And I'm like, if you feel you have a destiny to do these things, then you need to align and act accordingly. And then he sent me a text telling me that, oh, man, this is so hard. I said, Jeremiah, if this was easy... If this kingdom was easy, anybody could do it. The kingdom suffers what? And the violent take it by force. It takes a willful determination to to manifest kingdom. We're talking on another level. I'm not talking about everybody's life and we all get a pinwheel and a cotton candy ball and we all go home and we're happy Christians throughout the week. You know, we're kingdom-centered. We're destiny-centered. You know, we call you to this. And we not only call you to this, this is not something that, that escapes reality this is a truth that will come into reality you'll watch it it might take that man five years it might take him 10 years but you're going to see that that guy if he will listen to what the lord is telling him and every time he listens to what god is telling him and he actually asks what do i do what do i do what do i do and i say look here's the path i said you've got to work with it again the relationship you have to relate to the lord and allow him to instruct you in relation to what it is that he's telling you I'll give you the framework. I can tell you this is how it works, but you're going to have to create a relationship within that framework. And he does, and it activates all the time. I, I mean, just, I, I, he's just a living example of probably five others that I could give you, but because it just happened this week, he gets a job, 11, almost $1,000 a month more than he was currently making, which may not seem much to you, but to him, that's a lot. And I said, what, and he told me also, he said, the Lord is telling me to stay, at my, to, to stay at my same spending level, to not increase my spending, to stay where I'm at. And I said, watch, he's going to show you what to do. You know, he's going to show you, he's going to show you what to do if you listen. You either want it or you don't. And he just said, this is really hard. I'm like, of course it's hard. Of course it's, who told you it was easy? Right? You got to put a knife in your head and a rag in your teeth, man. You got to contend for what is yours. Most, listen, most Christians never go there. Most Christians never go there. We, we pray, pray, play, we pray placating prayers placating worship, and we live, at the, we live at the level of average. And there's nothing wrong with living at the level of average. Let me just be clear. You say, well, I kind of like average. Well, good for you. We love you. We bless you. We honor you. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that at all. But the Lord aspires us to greatness if we will listen. At Kaleo, there's a call on our lives for greater things if we will listen. If we will listen. And if you'll begin to ask him, Jeremiah didn't say, hey, I feel like the Lord has called me to be an apostle for the nations. That wasn't the word the Lord gave him. He felt like this is where God has called him to do. God didn't tell him, even though he's a counselor and he works with all of these really just shot out kids, 
God didn't tell him, you know, I want you to create a children's ministry for these broken people. That's not what the Lord told him either. Do you understand that? The word that God gave him was not in relationship to what would be commonly understood. Somebody would look at him and go, well, I believe God is calling you, Jeremiah, to be an apostle to the nations. I believe God is calling you to establish a ministry that will take the brokenness of these children and minister to them even further. Maybe that will happen in time, but that's not what he told him. That's not what he told him. That's not what God put in his heart. I don't know if you understand that, but that's, that's what he's saying. So the basis of our relationship with God is family, okay? Always got to understand this, and it's patriarchal. So it's not just family, it's patriarchal. It's father to sons and daughters. That's the whole point, right? The whole point of Jesus was the reconciliation to us unto the father as sons and daughters. He's the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So, we're, our, so our relationship to God is not, oh, God, you great deified being you. It's father, He's your father, always, now, and forever. Come boldly before the throne of grace. Come with your head up. He knows you're broken. He knows knows what you did and what you didn't do. We relate to him on the position of identity. This is huge. Identity is everything. That's the first thing. When when Jesus says, teach us to pray, what's the first thing he deals with? Anybody? What does our father implicate? Identity. His identity and our identity to him. Our father. He's father. So if he's father, then who am I? Oh, I'm son, I'm daughter. Oh, the first thing he deals with when he asks us to pray is he tells us, deal with your identity. Deal with who I am to you and deal with who you are to me. Understand that before we go any further. Before we go any further into what prayer is, understand who I am to you and understand who you are to me. Get that, understand that, live that, relate to that. In Christ, he's our father, he's good. Good. Time would fail. I could do a whole series. I could do, I could do a year on the goodness of God. He's that good. God's for you. He's never against you. Do you know that? Not now, not ever. Say, my circumstances don't believe that. Your circumstances are lying. Jesus' truth is that he is, not, he is for you. He's never against you. We don't live by circumstances. We live by truth. We press into truth until truth becomes reality. It's, again, big misnomer. The church fixates on, on circumstances, fixates on reality. I fixate on the greater reality. On earth as it is in heaven, the Bible says. Not in heaven as it is on earth. On earth as it is in heaven. Just because my circumstances are trying to tell me that God is not good does not mean he is not good. The truth is, as I press into the goodness of God until my circumstances change. Truth is greater than reality. The only way truth can fail you is when you surrender to what you see. We walk not by sight, right? We walk by what is unseen. We walk by faith and not by sight. Do we not? Is that not what it's telling us to do? Our Father's goodness is beyond what we can comprehend. But not our ability to experience. So the goodness of God is greater than you can understand. But it's not beyond, it's not greater than what you can experience. You ever have the love of God flowing in you? Like you feel like you're going to explode? Anybody here with me? You ever feel like you just got, you're just like, I, I feel like I could like burst and just, just cease existence right now. You know, it's like, pff, I feel like I could explode. With the, with the, that's, you can experience God in a fullness. Your mind can't take you there. Your heart can take you for places where your head doesn't fit. You understand that? Very big, very important. We experience God through his revealed word. We experience God through his revealed character. That's what he wants. God gives a promise in his word, no weapon formed against you. He wants you to experience that. He wants you to experience that God so loves you. He wants you to experience that. It's Ephesians what, one? That you would know the love of God, epignosis, that you would experience the love of God. And we, through his revealed character, 
He wants to show you he's the wonderful counselor. He tells you about who he is. He said, I'm the wonderful counselor. He wants you to experience that. Lord, I need your counsel. Boom. You feel like you're a genius. You're like, oh my gosh, I should write a book. I'm so smart. You know, what you did is you just accessed the wonderful counselor. And then all of a sudden, you ever notice it? I don't know if you guys are with me on this, but you ever have that? Maybe you had a moment of it. I don't know. But you're like, Lord, I need your counsel. And he gives you this counsel, and it's like genius. You're like, wow, that was genius. Did you hear what I just said? That was genius. And then you go home, and then you go, what did I say there again? I can't remember. (laughs) Because it's the access into the wonderful counselor. It's the access into the wisdom of God. We experience it, so we know that not, we don't know of him as the wonderful counselor. We know he's the wonderful counselor. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Father of Eternity, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government, there will be no end. God wants to reveal his character to us, and he wants, it to, he wants you to experience that he is the Prince of Peace. He wants you to experience that he's mighty. He wants you to experience, he wants you to experience that his government will rule everything. His government, listen, no one has rulership over your life except Jesus, unless you let them. The only way you circumvent the rulership or the kingdom or the dominion of God over your life is by partnering with another dominion that is not his. That's the only way. It's the only way. (laughs) I'm shooting up here. You're like, well, how do we get there, Kevin? You have to live a lifestyle of this stuff. No one has the right to define me. I don't define myself. You know who defines me? Jesus. I teach you this, guys, every Sunday. You practically hear me say the, say the, say the same thing. The only one who, who identifies me in a, in is, 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 is Jesus. He said, I'm a son. I'm a son of the highest. This is who I am. And I, I, I begin to live my life through who he says I am, not who I think I am, not who others define who I am. This is what changes you. When you start to see yourself as a daughter and you begin to live that I'm a daughter of the highest, why am I doing that? I, I, you, you, your, whole, your whole identity changes. Your, your whole, the whole focus of your life begins to shift. No one has the right to define you. The, Lord, the dominion of God defines me. No one else defines me. The dominion of God rules me. No other dominion rules me. I make no covenants with any other dominion but his. This is power and activation, ladies and gentlemen. This isn't power spoken of. I'm speaking of power and activation. The Lord has invited us to experience and discovering truths that make reality. That you would know the love of God. So here's Ephesians. I just quoted it. That you would know the love of God that surpasses knowledge. It's experiential. That word knowledge is epignosis. It means knowledge by experience. Be filled with the fullness of all he is. Now to him, when this is how you start to pray. When you understand that God is exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think he's going to provide for you or do things that are great according to the power that is within him. And through him be glory in the church throughout all generations. When you understand that God can and will on your behalf do exceedingly abundantly above all you can ask or think. Not because he looks at you and has some merciful experience with you, because he looks at you and says, that's my daughter, of course I'm going to do that. Of course I'm going to do that. Or he's going to show you the path to get where you want to go. He's going to show you. Lord, I want, Lord, I want, I want to raise godly children. I want you, to raise, God, want you to raise my children godly. And Lord's like, okay, I'll do exceedingly abundantly above all I can ask or think. I'm going to start prompting your heart. I'm going to start showing you things in your heart, how to relate to your children. Right? So God begins to work on what she's praying, and God begins to guide her into what she's asking for. And the Lord's, that's how this, how this stuff happens. In Christ, your sons and daughters. So in Jesus, he's our father. First aspect, relationship. In Jesus, he's our father. Now the second side, we are sons and daughters. Say it, I'm an insider. Come on, I'm not an outsider. The Bible says before Christ, you were strangers and aliens to covenants and promises. So what does that imply? Now that I'm in Christ, 
I'm no longer a stranger to promises and covenants. I'm not a stranger to this. God, and I'm a son and daughter. I'm an insider, not an outsider. We try to equate the church as the devil. This is the, this is the lie of the devil. Is he's constantly trying to equate the church and make the church equal with the world. And he's constantly trying to get the believer to make themselves equal with the world. You are not. You are not. Why would you accept that? The bread is for the who? Who said that? Who said that? Jesus said it. Who, you had someone outside the covenant come and ask the Lord for something, and he looks right at her. He says, the bread is for the children. What you ask me for does not belong to you. He gave it to her because she demonstrated faith, and she pressed in, right? So even the unbeliever can access if they press in, right? How much more so can the son or the daughter access if they press in? Because it belongs to you. The bread is for the world. No. <laughs> the light is for the world, but not the bread. The fullness of provision belongs to the sons and daughters. This is a fact. In Christ, your sons and daughters. Behold, John 1, 1 John 1, 1 John chapter 3. Behold, like be amazed at the manner of the love that God has put upon us. That what? We should be called sons and daughters. Have you ever thought about that? The Bible's telling you to be amazed. The Bible's telling you to take a moment out of your life and meditate on the fact that God loves you so much he calls you into his family. You are not ordinary. You're not ordinary. Why would you settle for ordinary when your identity calls you to be extraordinary? Therefore, the world does not know us. Why does the world not understand it? It's a concept. Well, we're all God's children. Oh, no, we are not. Oh, no, we are not. To those who receive Christ are given the power to be the children of God. No one else has their God's creation. They're not God's sons and daughters. Big difference, and you need to know that. Somebody's going to get that job, and it's going to be the one who has favor on their life. Activate the favor. I don't know if this is for me, Lord, but if it is, I'll activate my favor into this job. Don't you, be, don't you feel sad? I'll tell you that. Don't you feel sad? God, the favor, there's nothing fair about favor. I just had a such a circumstance. This happened to me just recently. And I began to pray, and I began to ask the Lord, what do you want me to do here? And the Lord says to me, he says, Kevin, do not feel sorry when I plunder the Egyptian. That's what he told me. When I give you your enemies like a garment, don't you feel sorry? <laughs> when I make your enemies your footstool, don't you feel sorry? See, the enemy tries to move you with empathy. The enemy tries to move you. And if God says be empathetic, then I'll be empathetic. If God says have compassion, then be have compassion. But sometimes Israel left Egypt, and what happened? The, the, Israel, the Egyptians threw their gold upon the Israelis when they left. Did you know that? Read your Bible. They showered them. Israel left Egypt with the riches of Egypt. And you want to know why Pharaoh pursued him? It wasn't his slave army that he lost. It was his riches. His whole economy was about to cross the Red Sea because God commanded it. He plundered Egypt plundered them and they weren't going oh no don't give me all this oh no this is too much oh no take it back the enemy tries to get us to move with empathy if god tells you to move with empathy move with empathy if god tells you to move with compassion you move with compassion but he says to you when i when i plunder this egyptian in front of your face don't you feel sorry when I put them around you like a garment and I put them on and I ornament those who have tried to destroy you and I put them on your neck and I testify of what I have done through you to the world, don't you feel sorry? Jehovah Saboeth, God of war, that's what it means. The Lord of the angel armies. Exodus 17, the Lord is a warrior and has been so from the beginning. You know what I was telling the Lord? I'm like, I'm a man of peace. And you know what he said to me? I'm a God of war. Touch not my anointed. Touch not my anointed. 
You're not common. The Bible says he will give nations for who? Your ransom. (laughs) He'll give nations up for you. He will forfeit and bankrupt the unbeliever for his children. And we go, that's not fair. And I say, there's nothing. That's right. That's the favor of the Lord. That's right. (laughs) I've had unbelievers like, you're trying to say this. I'm like, yeah, man, if you want the favor, just receive Jesus. And now you're a son and daughter and favor's on you too. Welcome to the family. But if you don't want to receive Jesus, well, then don't get mad because there's nothing fair about favor. <laughs> Come out from among them and be separate. So it says this, all right, where was I? So what matter of love? Because, we did, because the world doesn't understand who we are. It says, beloved as sons and daughters, the fullness of what we are is not yet come. In other words, the, we, we only understand dimly who we really are. So even what I'm talking to you is a very, when Jesus comes, the full manifestation of what we really are is going to be known to you. And you're going to go like this. I was this the whole time? You're going to watch the entire kingdom of your father respond to you. And you're going to realize, I had this authority the whole time? I had this inheritance the whole time? That's right. But right now, we only see dimly. But when he comes, it's going to be fullness. And we're going to be like, what? I knew I, I, knew I was a, I knew I was the, you know, I don't know what I'm going to say. I was going to say, I knew I was a rock star. But there's only one rock star. Jesus is the rock star. Well, when he comes, and it says, all who have this understanding sanctifies themselves. All who understand they are sons and daughters of God separates themselves where? Into their new identity. You're not like the world. Stop acting like it. You're not common not common don't act like it don't have the mentality that you're common because you're not don't have the mentality that God treats you like less you you are you are at the top of his list of priorities the top he quiets the angels hold hold, hold, hold. is that my daughter at the door is that my daughter come 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 court be seated angels be silent what do you need my dear what do you need do you understand that's how that's who he is that's what he does. He silences, and there is no business except you when you call upon him. You are his business. He wins victories, and you know what he does? He puts you on the banner, and he begins to wave you as the banner. He stands upon the mountain of victory, waving you in the face of your enemies. Read it. <laughs> I prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. I seat you at my table while those who watch are the ones who wanted to destroy you. I put you in the place of honor while others seek to put you in the place of shame. Not fair about favor, man. Come out from among them and be separate. This is the whole idea. Don't touch what's not of me, the Lord says, and I'll receive you. I'll be a father to you and be my sons and daughter. In other words, stop acting like them. Be like me. Be like what I am. Family, relationships, sons, daughters, who we are. It's not about religion. Religion doesn't define me. The church, the Christians let the church define them so often. Church doesn't define me. There's churchianity, guys, right? There's the church culture, there's the world culture, and there's the kingdom culture. People say there's two cultures. No, there's three. There's the world's culture, there's the church culture, and there's the kingdom culture. We are the kingdom culture. That's what we are. Now, listen, I was trained in church culture. I know all about it. I could, you know, I know please don't go there, Kevin. Please don't go to church culture. But they want to define you. They want to have the right to, they, they don't have that right. They have no right over me. The only one who has right over me, the, the, the culture of the church has no authority over me, church or culture of the kingdom. And so this church is submitted not unto church culture. This church is submitted unto the kingdom culture. We are a dominion-related church under the dominion and lordship of Jesus Christ. What he says we do to the very best of our abilities. 
As indeed, as it says in Hosea, those who were saved, this is beautiful. This is, again, what manner of love has the Father set upon us. And here it is. Those who are not my people, I will call my people. Those who have not been beloved, I will be loved. What? <laughs> you don't think you're loved, man? He loves you. Those who hate you, God said, I love them. I beloved them. Those who are not my people, those who are unwanted, and that's why the unwanted and the despised gravitate towards Jesus. <laughs> the prostitutes love him and the drunks propose a toast. Surely God is with us. He eats with harlots and tax collectors and beggars and rogues and alcoholics. He's a wine-bibber and a drunkard, friend of sinners. Jesus is like, yep, pretty much. <laughs> it is not the, sick, the well that need the physician. It is the sick that need the physician. Faith is a willful determination not based upon, it, based upon, oftentimes we need to make a faith, we need to make a determination based upon truth and not upon reality. It's upon who he is. We're going to do a prayer of activation. You guys want to do another prayer of activation? Okay, so we're going to do a prayer of activation. We did this last week. This is a little bit different. But what I'm trying to do with this prayer of activation, I'm trying to show you that prayer is living, that prayer is alive, that you can experience God in prayer. Yes, we pray unto him, we pray structure, but we can also pray with him experientially. And one of the things that we need to pray and we need to learn as believers, and I say it often, is, is impartation. Impartation is incredibly powerful. What is impartation? You're about to experience it. It's just the power of God moving into you. That's all. Nothing weird's gonna happen. You're gonna just sense his presence. Fullness, peace, power, love. You're gonna just sense it. So when, my, when she, her aunt was laying on the, on the thing, I was imparting to her. I said, Beba, let virtue flow into you. And she, she's been a believer all her life. You know, and I was trying to, had to define to her what, what that is. I said, I want you to open up your bloodstream, and I want you to just feel your blood run warm. I want you to feel heat come into your bloodstream. Just let it happen. You know? And that's what I was saying. There's no clotting in your blood. There's no this in your blood. You know, the Bible says the power's in the blood. My, his blood is my blood, right? The impartation of the blood of Jesus. It's not understood. It's beyond your mind. It's beyond your thinking, right? We need to learn how to receive in the spirit. That's why we need to learn to release the things off of our life and receive. The kingdom is activated through releasing and receiving. Everything, look around. The earth itself, water goes up, and then what? Water comes down, right? Releasing. The seed goes into the ground, and the harvest comes. Worship is the same aspect. Worship goes up. The presence comes down. The offering goes out. The blessing comes in. It's always a kingdom dynamic of releasing and receiving on every level. As long as the earth remains, seed time and harvest. Seed time is relating to release and receive. Release and receive. Sow and reap. Sow and reap. It's the same principle when we relate to the Lord. We release, we receive. Sometimes you don't need to release anything. You're just ready to receive. You understand what I'm saying? But then there's other times where you're just like, and you just got to get it off you. <laughs> so we're going to pray. If you would do me the honor letting me lead you doing this prayer. We're going to pray. So here's your, all you got to do, all you got to do, this is real, it's so easy, guys. It's so, so, so easy. A child can do it. In fact, kids love to do this. So just be childlike, right? Kids are like, let's do it, let's do it. Yeah, all right? Just going to open up, and when, when, when I do the impartation, I'll lead you in the impartation. I just want you to let the experience happen. You're just going to feel power. Some of you will feel clarity, some of you, it'll just be an act of faith. You may not, you may not feel anything, but faith, is, faith has no feeling. So even though you have a neutral experience, it doesn't mean that faith isn't being applied. Others of you, you'll begin to, you'll begin to receive exactly what I'm telling you. And that doesn't mean you're better. It just means that you're in, you, that's just how you're engaging it. 
So I'm going to say, Father, I honor you. I stand before you today as your son or as your daughter because of what you have done for me. It is in the blood of Jesus that I am born again into your family. I praise you and I thank you. I want you to open up. I want you to let your blood just feel warmth come into your bloodstream. Your blood touches every part of your body. So just feel like you're just like warmth come into your bloodstream. It's an impartation of the blood of Jesus. He's affirming it to you. Just let it receive, okay? Let it happen. And we'll move to this one. You say, I thank you that I am an heir of this world and the one to come. I thank you, Father, that you have given me great and precious promises so that I may experience your nature. I thank you, Father, that you created me for good works, a purpose, a destiny that have been set before me before the world began. Ready? Here we go. I receive (laughs) the activation of my destiny, the wisdom, the courage to lay hold of what you have for me. I want you to do it. I want you to see the Lord's going to put a key in your hand. Okay? I want you to receive a key. I want you to open a door with it. Right? So this is just a step of faith. Even if you're experiencing it, that's fine. Partner with it. If not, just, just do it by faith. Take, the Lord gives you a key. I want you to open a door. The door opens, and I want you to step through the door. And as soon as you step through the door, I want you to feel power come on you right now. One, two, three. Just by faith, step through the door and just receive the activation of power. He's going to encode what you're asking for into you. He's going to release it. Just let it happen. Just let the power come into you. All right? I want you to say this. Father, I am forever yours. I honor and hold sacred your name. I will never again lower myself or allow another to lower me beneath the identity you have placed upon me. I am a son or daughter of the highest. I am beloved on my worst day. As long as I do not quit, I cannot fail. And I want you to see your favorite color, whatever that is, the most brilliant color. And I want you to just let that color just come inside of you. Mine's green, like forest green. So I just let forest green come inside of me. Let that color begin to fill me. And into that color, I want you to just allow this to happen. Just receive it. Love, just let love begin to pour into that color. And then he says the word acceptance, and just let acceptance come into that color. And let that come into you as well. It's an impartation. This is what it looks like. Just receive it and allow it go. God wants you to just open up your spirit. Let fullness come in. Let your spirit get bigger. Let everything expand, get really big, really wide. Fullness, fullness, fullness. And then everything's going to come down, and you're going to feel really still and really calm. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. I know, it's off the books, man, completely out of the loop there, I get you, but let me bless you, let me bless you, let me bless you. This is an importation, this is how we do it, it's one of the ways we do it. Father, I just thank you so much for these people, I thank you for their hearts, Lord, I I just bless them again, I thank you for where you want to lead them, Lord, that you're leading them and desiring them to come into a deeper relationship with you, to learn how to receive from you, to learn how to give to you in, in their hearts, God, and to interact with you in a living way. Father, I just thank you for that. It's because that's what you're doing here, Lord. 
And so I want to be grateful to you for that. And I want to be um, uh, just thank you so much for the willingness of the people, God, to engage you on that way. And I want to give you glory, Lord, for the access that you have given to us by your spirit and through your nature. And so I honor you in presence of these people. And I honor you for their hearts towards you. And I just speak God's blessing over you. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you in every way. May he give you peace. And may you forever live within his favor. God loves you. We love you. Have a wonderful week. We have a prayer team available. So we have a prayer reset. So if you need prayer for anything, we have a prayer team available for you over on the far wall. Amen. Lost my way. Walked in the dark.